0: Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there, and we hope that you got a little kick out of that video. Uh, moms, we would not be without, here without you today. Like, we literally wouldn't be without, here without you today. And, and watching those interviews, I'm sure that when you saw maybe your kids show up there as a mom, you were like, you were cringing on the inside, like, what are they gonna say? Uh, you know, because uh, kids say the darndest things, right? And uh, sometimes you, you just don't know. But I thought it was great to hear uh, some of the answers of how moms spend time with their their sons or daughters. And as a mom, man, you may not think that it's quality time or that it matters, but as you watch those answers, you can tell that it matters to them. And you matter a lot, moms, and we are so thankful for all that you do perhaps the answer that I liked the most from those interviews was from Mason Fox on the question, how does your mom show you that she loves you? And he said, she lets me come to church. She lets me come to church. What a great thing to hear. And perhaps the greatest thing a parent can pass on to their kids is their faith in Jesus. And while every child didn't answer the way that Mason did, I know that most, if not all of you moms out here this morning are trying to pass your faith on to your kids. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Some of you may have that on a, on a fancy sign somewhere, a decorative piece in your house. But I think it's evident that all of you are living it in the importance that you place on learning about God and His Word and the church. And that's why I love the first part of that video we showed this morning, because it shows the lasting legacy a mother or a grandmother can leave on the life of a child. By modeling your faith for your your kids or your grandkids, you can impact multiple generations. And maybe you have your own stories of how your own mother or your grandmother helped to shape your faith, and now you're passing those same lessons on to your kids, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Paul's journey. He, on Paul's journey, he went to a city by the name of Lystra. And in Lystra, he started a church there, and he, he was met with some intense opposition there, but he got the church started, and it eventually would bring him Timothy. Now, he only met Timothy because Timothy's grandmother and mother first attended that church in Lystra, and without Paul's work and without them attending, we may never have met Timothy. Paul highlighted their impact on Timothy's life in 2 Timothy 1.5. And he said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul saw that it went from from his mother and grandmother, the lessons that they learned, it was passed on to Timothy. Their decision to follow Christ and to pass it on to Timothy would eventually lead to more people coming to Christ than they could have ever imagined. I mean, would they really have ever thought that we would still be talking about Timothy in 2021? I doubt it. I mean, I don't care how many times you tell your kids how special they are and how they can do whatever they want in life and how much you love them, I don't think you would ever dream that they would make that kind of an impact. Man, that just shows you how important and why it's so important to share your faith with your kids, because you never know what God's going to do. You never know how God is going to use your kids. So thank you, moms and grandmoms, for your spiritual investment into our lives. It does not go unnoticed, even though sometimes you might think so. And you are impacting the next generation with everything that you do. It was because of Lois and Eunice that Timothy started following Jesus in the first place. Without his grandmother and his mother, he he never would have asked the question that we've been focusing on during this series, and that's, how can I become more useful to the Lord in the work of His kingdom? How can I become more useful to the Lord in the work of his kingdom. And I really hope that you've been asking that question throughout this whole series. Through the first two weeks here, I hope that something has been stirring inside of your heart. That a feeling that God is calling you to serve somewhere in his kingdom. All of us have a calling. We each have our own unique calling. Your calling is not the same to the person that's sitting next to you. And I hope that you're reaching out to God and asking that he reveal what his calling is for your life. We've seen how Timothy prepared for his calling, and why Paul and God trusted him with that calling in the first couple weeks here. And today we want to move on to Acts chapter 18. We've been slowly moving through the middle of the book of Acts, and we're going to be talking about something, well, that's a little bit different. We want to talk about disappointment. And you may see that and go, really? On Mother's Day, we're talking about disappointment. Of all the things, you chose disappointment. But let me tell you, I think it's a great day to talk about disappointment because it's in the time of disappointment in our lives that we need the the unconditional love of our mom the most. When we fail, who do we run to a lot of times? We run to mom. Disappointment, it's a fact of life. There's no getting around it. We can't go through life without it. We've all experienced it and Timothy was no different. And as we talk about disappointment and our our usefulness to God, we need to remember that the key to our future usefulness to God and the work of his kingdom is not what happens to us, but how we respond to what happens to us. It's how we respond that matters. When we left off in Paul's missionary journey last week, he had been ushered off to the city of Athens to protect him from the Thessalonian Jews that had followed him to Berea. In Acts chapter 18, Paul leaves Athens and he heads to a place called Corinth. And that's where the church was located that Paul writes the letter to in First and 2 Corinthians. Now Corinth is kind of a crazy place. It's considered by some scholars to be the Las Vegas of the ancient World. I tried to come up with some like catchy phrase, you know, like, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, but whatever. But I, I think it's important to know what was going on there because it only amplifies what God can accomplish. The message of Jesus can be proclaimed and souls can be saved, even in places where we might consider it unlikely. God cannot be stopped by places of this world. In Acts 18. Verse 1, Luke writes, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And here we see Paul right back at it again. Doesn't matter what happened to him before, he's back in the fire, right? He goes right back in the synagogue, seemingly unfazed by what just took place in Thessalonica and Berea. You can't hold Paul back. He teams up with this power couple, Priscilla and Aquila, to earn money doing tent making during the week and then preaching the gospel in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he did this to earn money until Silas and Timothy were able to rejoin him and bring him some money And then that allowed Paul to be preaching full time. And in verse six, we see that that Paul once again runs into opposition from the Jews, but this time he's done. He's had it with them. He ain't doing it anymore. Luke, Luke says, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul's like, I'm out. I'm done. You're on your own. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just trying to help you out. I'm trying, but now I wash my hands of you. You're on your own. I'm not doing it anymore. And have you ever just been like fed up and reached a breaking point with somebody? You're just like I can't do this anymore. I'm trying to help you out, and you don't want to hear it. And I'm just I'm not gonna waste any more energy on this. I think of trying to give a stubborn child medicine. Now, if your house is blessed and your kids take the medicine like they should, uh, psh, amen, right? Uh, uh, my, I have one that does, and one that does not. And, and so I think of it kind of like a boxing match, or maybe more appropriate, like Mortal Kombat, like with the blood turned on sometimes. Because like, uh, in this corner, we have you, the parent, and you know they need that medicine. They're sick, and they need that medicine. Their fever is at 103, and they need it, Right? But in this corner, you have the child, and they know, the only thing they know is, I'm not taking that medicine. I don't want it. I'm not doing it. And it's just, fight, you know, let's get it on. And and you know who wins? Nobody. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. Because as the parent, you get fed up, because there is nothing more frustrating than having that prescription medication that you paid your hard-earned money for spat right back in your face. Or, worse yet, spit, spat right all over their pajamas, and now you got to change on top of everything else. And the child, well, they're now crying and, and gagging, and it's just, you're like, I don't even know why I tried. And as the parent, you know they need the medicine in order to feel better, but the child is not having it. And, and so you get fed up, and you get frustrated. I'm just trying to help you out. And Paul's like a frustrated parent here in Acts 18. He knows the message that they need to hear. He knows the truth. But the Jewish people, they're not having it. But see, they aren't just spitting medicine back at Paul. Time and time again, they're not only rejecting his message, but after the fact, they're attacking him in opposition. And so, despite, but despite Paul's frustration, God was still moving. Verse 8 says that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and many of the Corinthians believed and were baptized. And so even when we think that we're failing, God's still moving. So although Paul was being very effective, it it seems like he had decided that, you know what, it's time for me to move on. I've done everything I can do here, I'm moving on. But something happened that made him stay longer. Look look at verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And Paul might be sitting there like, Lord, have you seen what's been going on everywhere I have gone pretty much? Like, do you you know, right? But I think it might have, I mean, for us, it might have been hard to trust that. But for Paul, verse 11, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the Word of God. He obeyed the Lord even when it didn't make sense. So after that year and a half, after Paul had left Corinth and continued on his journey, he receives a letter from the Corinthian church. He references it in 1 Corinthians 7. And the believers, well, they have questions about a lot of things. A lot of things have come up. And the letter has also received some disturbing beliefs and practices going on inside the church. That They've kind of lost their way a little bit. And not only that, but Paul also receives reports that they're fighting over what has happened, over these things, these disagreements. And so this news, it prompts Paul to do two things. First, he, he writes this letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. And second, he sends Timothy. And by now we can start to see a pattern forming here. Whenever Paul is unable to go, whether opposition or prison or whatever, it's, he sends Timothy like we said last week Timothy has proven trustworthy in these matters and he is Paul's go-to man in times of need Now the Corinthian church it had a lot of problems I mean it took two letters for Paul to address all of the issues going on there In the first letter Paul addresses problems with division pride distrust church discipline lawsuits purity Christian freedom corporate worship eternal perspective and giving. You know, I started counting all my fingers, but they got so many problems, I ran out of fingers, right? It, that's how, how troubled a church they truly were. And there were some great leaders that were sent there to try and get them straightened out, but it wasn't happening. But knowing all of that, Paul still sent Timothy with full confidence that he was the man for the job. He could get them straightened out. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, or 4 14 through 17, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And now, Timothy, he's headed, he's headed into the fire. He's headed into the, the lion's den here. And Paul knows what awaits him in Corinth. And he knows that this isn't going to be an easy task for Timothy. But he believes that his young apprentice is ready for the job. He, he believes that he can do it. But still, he, he cares about Timothy an awful lot, and he doesn't want any harm to come to him. So he writes in chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear when he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. In other words, Paul's saying, yo, send him back in one piece or else. or Don't make me come down there. You better take care of him. But it's kind of crazy that Paul would even have to write this to a church. This isn't like to people out in the city. This is to a church. But sometimes things can get a little heated in in church, right? I don't know if you've ever been a part of a nasty church split or a heated church board meeting, but sometimes tempers flare and things can get a little crazy. I've heard of preachers being fired and asked to leave mid-service, don't get any ideas, uh, or, or Elders getting into fist fights in the middle of a board meeting? I mean, we we certainly want you to be passionate about your church. We want you to love your church, but we want you to like express that in different ways. But despite the hostility, we know that Timothy survives and he reunites with Paul eventually because he's mentioned in the opening greeting of 2 Corinthians we're not really ever given any details of how Timothy's trip to Corinth went, but, but we know that it didn't go well based on two things. First, Paul had to write a second letter to them. So if he had gotten it all worked out, it just would have been 1 Corinthians. That would have been it, right? There would have been just one book. So there are still issues there that Timothy wasn't able to get sorted out that he has to write about in the second book or in the second letter. And the other thing is that in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul calls on a man named Titus. Now, Titus also has a letter that was written to him by Paul that's in the Bible, in the New Testament. Paul calls on Titus to be the point man on the trip to Corinth this time. In verse 6, Paul says, we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Almost like, okay, well, we're going to need you to come in and we're going to need you to take care of this. We're going to need you to finish the job. And in verses 16 and eighteen through 18 of the same chapter, he says, Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. Now, we don't know who that brother is that Paul mentions right there, but and maybe it was Timothy. But what's clear is that Timothy is no longer the point person on this project. It's now Titus. Titus has taken over the lead. Titus is in charge. And whatever happened with Timothy on his trip to Corinth, Paul decided to make Titus this leader. And, and we don't know why Paul made this. Maybe, maybe Timothy was having trouble with people listening to him. You know, in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul t- told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And so maybe Tim, this is a problem for Timothy where people just weren't listening to him. So maybe he sent Titus as the point person instead. But whatever it was, Timothy had to be disappointed. He was given an assignment. He was the man. He, up until this point, whatever Paul asked him to do, he did it. And he did it well. And Paul would send him time and time again. But now he failed. And he had to be disappointed that he wasn't that he wasn't given a second chance that Paul wasn't you know wasn't sending him again and he was replaced by Titus maybe you've been in Timothy's shoes before somebody trusted you with a really big assignment a really big job or task and for one reason or another you didn't get the job done maybe you were replaced by somebody else and you had to sit in the background and watch somebody else do the job that you just for whatever reason, weren't able to get done. And so what do we do when we experience failure and disappointment in our lives? Well, we can learn from Timothy, and the first thing we can learn from him is to, to keep serving. In his greeting at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to Timothy as our brother. Now, Timothy returned from Corinth, and he went right back to serving with Paul and the rest of the team. I don't want you to miss how important that is because Timothy could have certainly walked away and, and with his tail between his legs, he could have gone into hiding. He could have decided that, you know what, maybe I'm not cut out for this anymore. Maybe I, I, maybe I just need to go do something else. Maybe I need to become a tent maker instead of trying to be a missionary for God. But Timothy didn't do any of that. He just kept on serving. He was still there with them. He saw that there was an issue, but he was like, okay. Didn't work out, but I'm back. I'm going to keep on serving. Maybe you've failed in your life. We all have, honestly. Maybe you've failed in your marriage or your job or in your classes or with your kids or with your faith. And maybe this isn't even a past tense thing for you. Maybe this is a present tense. And so what do you do? What do we do when we fail? You keep serving. Never confuse your calling with the result of one assignment. When you feel called to something, never, refuse, or never confuse that calling with the result of one assignment. Failure or disappointment in one assignment does not negate the call of God on your life. It doesn't mean that you weren't called to that. It doesn't mean that you were wrong. It just means you need to keep serving keep at it. I mean, maybe you have failed. Maybe you have absolutely bombed like epically bombed. But the Bible shows us time and time again that when we are broken by life and our own mistakes, that God can pick us up, dust us off, and put the pieces back together so we can be useful for him again. The church at Corinth had so many issues that Paul himself had to go there three times to take care of it. This was not an easy assignment for anyone. Even Timothy And yeah, he failed. So what? He stayed in the fight, and he got right back on the horse. And if you have failed or you are failing now, then you need to stay in the game. You need to get back in there and keep your head up, keep moving forward, and keep serving. A second way to respond to failure and disappointment is to lean hard into Jesus. When you experience failure and disappointment, Keep leaning into the Lord. Don't blame God for the bad things that are happening to you. God, when things are going wrong, that's a temptation. A lot of people want to do that. They want to say, how could a God that loves us so much let this happen to me? But in those times of trouble, God is our refuge, our protection from the storm. Don't fight against that. When we are weak, he is strong. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There are many times in our lives that we cannot see ourselves or see our way through. There are many times in the midst of the storm of life, it's coming down on us so hard we can't even see through the storm to see on the other side. We're put under intense pressure and begin to think that, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it through this, God. But in those times, we learn to rely on God rather than ourselves. When you are worn down because of the trials of this life lean into Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We have the creator of the universe, a God powerful enough to do all these things, and yet we run from him. We have a savior in King Jesus that overcame death, has the authority over this world, but we tend to, to go elsewhere. Ever just have one of those weeks where it just feels like one thing is happening after another? The kids are at each other's throats, the dog pukes on your new rug, and you come out of work to find out that your tire's flat. And that's just Monday at lunch, right? Or maybe it's worse than that. You found out this week that your company is downsizing again, and this time it was your position that was eliminated. Test results came back positive, and you don't know how you're gonna fight this again. Or you lost a loved one, and you don't know how you're gonna live without him. And when this world really hits with all that it has, when you feel like you've received a sentence of death like Paul and his team did, well, we have two choices. We can choose to get angry with God and call out to him and blame him for everything. How could you let this happen to me? You say you love me, but this, my life, look at my life, God. How could this happen? There can't be a God. There's no way this could happen. We blame him, we get angry with him. We can choose that. Or we can choose to lean into his son, Jesus. Friends, this morning, I hope you'll choose Jesus. Because everything that you choose to lean on that's not Jesus, well, it's going to eventually let you down. We can choose to lean on our possessions or our sinful desires or people. But when we rely on them in place of Jesus, you'll always be left unsatisfied and disappointed. But Jesus, no. Jesus will never let you down. He is always working for the good of His people. Whether you you understand it or not, whether it's on your timing or not, whether it happens in the way that you think it's going to happen or not, He's always working on your behalf. Failure is a part of life. It's inevitable for all of us. But when we fail, we shouldn't throw in the towel. Keep serving and lean hard into Jesus. He sees all of your failures and all of your faults, yet He loves you more than anybody else ever could. He knew that you would fail, and He still came and died on the cross for you. And so let's use the amazing grace that we have been afforded by Him, by that death and by that resurrection, to move past our failures and our disappointments and our hardships and ready ourselves to be used by God for His kingdom once again. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that we can be here this morning. Thankful that we can be surrounded by a body of believers and that we can worship you and praise you. Whether it's sunshine or storms in our life right now, you are the same. You're there in the mountaintops and you're there in the valleys. And so, Father, we just, we thank you that you never change. And so, Father, this morning, I just thank you for your love, that you love each one of us so much that you would send your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. We thank you for Jesus that he he is so powerful that he could overcome death, that no matter what happens in this world, no matter the storms that we're going through, we know that one day it won't matter anymore. One day we will be in a place with no more tears and no more mourning and no more separation and no more pain, and we will be spending eternity with you. And so, Father, this morning I pray for those that are here this morning that are uh, that are dealing with with storms, that are dealing with pain, that they w- that we wouldn't get angry, that we wouldn't blame you, that we would lean into your Son Jesus, because we know. That that's the only way out of this. That's the only way that we can escape what this world is and the evils of this world. Father, we're thankful that you provided a way out. We're thankful that you love us so much that though you knew we would fail, that you, though you knew all of our problems and all of our issues, you still sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. We're thankful for that sacrifice. We're thankful for the grace and the love that you have for us. And we're thankful for the second third, fourth chances that you give us, I pray that we would use that to keep our head in the game and to keep serving as we lean into you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to follow Christ with all of your life, to make Him your Lord and your Savior and your King, there is no better day than today to make that decision. To come forward and say, I want Him to be the Lord and King of my life, and I want to be baptized into Him. To show all these witnesses that I have made a change in my life, that I want to put my old life behind and come up a new creation in Christ. So if you never made that decision, I would love to talk with you over that. If you have made that decision, but maybe you're just dealing with the storms of life right? maybe failures or disappointments. I would love to pray with you. No greater weapon than prayer and the things of our life. So I, I, I would love to pray with you this, this morning. If, if not now, through the week we're here, put it on the information card. We'll pray over it as a staff. We want to we wanna be there for you in prayer and stand there kind of in the gap for you, whatever you might have going on. This morning, whether it's a decision you have to make or just some prayer for something going on in your life, I'm here if you would like to come forward, but I just ask that all of us stand and sing as we sing our find.